Welcome to the Charleston Time Machine. I'm Nick Butler, historian at the Charleston County Public Library. In Macau, China, in the autumn of 1854, a young man boarded a U.S. naval vessel and embarked on an American adventure. Arriving first in New York, he worked briefly in Washington, D.C., before moving to South Carolina to create a formal plantation garden on Edisto Island. Displaced by the ravages of the American Civil War, he found asylum at the State Hospital and raised a family in Columbia. Today, we'll follow the first half of the story of Oki Adair, master gardener and South Carolina's earliest known resident of Chinese ancestry. Recently, while compiling demographic data for a future podcast, I became distracted by a single curious fact buried within the Ninth Census of the United States, compiled in 1870. A published synopsis of that census illustrates that the population of South Carolina included 705,606 people, comprised of 415,814 quote-unquote colored inhabitants, 289,667 white people, 124 people identified as Indian, and one Chinese resident. Comparing this data with other synopses published by the U.S. Census Bureau, I learned that the state's lone Chinese resident of 1870 was the first of that nationality to be recorded in South Carolina since the beginning of the federal census in 1790. Further statistical data extracted from the 1870 census indicates that this pioneering citizen of Chinese extraction resided in Richland County in the center of the state. Eager to learn more about his or her identity, I turned to that part of the census enumerating the names of individuals within Richland County. Here I found South Carolina's first recorded Chinese resident, a 35-year-old man named O. O'Dare, who was employed as a flower gardener at the South Carolina quote-unquote lunatic asylum in the capital city of Columbia. A few days after discovering this information, I was at the library chatting with the staff of the South Carolina History Room about the curious Mr. O'Dare. I had no knowledge of his backstory, but I was hoping to find more information about how he came to reside in the Palmetto State. Then my colleague Lish Thompson spoke up. You mean Oki Adair, she said, the Chinese gardener from Edisto Island? Lish, I then learned, is related to the family that once owned Bleak Hall Plantation and had once employed Oki to create a formal Japanese or Chinese-style garden on Edisto Island in the years just before the Civil War. This conversation led me down a rabbit hole of research to learn more about the history of Oki Adair. Because he was neither rich nor famous, I did not expect to find many details about his long-forgotten life in South Carolina, his childhood in China, or the chain of events that brought him to this state. Thanks to a number of unique circumstances within his interesting narrative, however, I was able to find a long trail of clues enabling me to trace his story from the Garden of the Lunatic Asylum in Columbia back to Edisto Island, Charleston, Washington, D.C., New York, Macau, and finally to the city of Guangzhou. Oki's journey from China to the United States occurred within the context of an international expedition funded by the U.S. government in the early 1850s. 
President Millard Fillmore was determined to open diplomatic and commercial relations with Japan, despite that island nation's strong tradition of cultural isolation. To force the Japanese government to open its borders to American merchants, Fillmore authorized in 1852 a naval expedition led by Commodore Matthew C. Perry. Besides armed vessels to intimidate the Japanese, the U.S. government also loaded supply ships with samples of American products and enlisted a physician and botanist, Dr. James Morrow of South Carolina, to gather samples of Japanese plants for scientific study and for propagation at a new greenhouse on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. The bulk of Perry's naval squadron embarked in November and arrived at the British colonial port of Hong Kong in April 1853. The U.S. Navy sailed to Japan the following month with their black ships and issued demands for American access to Japanese markets. Perry withdrew to Hong Kong in July to allow the Japanese government some time to consider its response to the American overture. Dr. Morrow did not participate in Perry's first visit to Japan because he did not receive his appointment as botanist to the expedition until February 1853. After departing from Delaware Bay in early March aboard USS Vandalia, Morrow's arrival at Hong Kong coincided with the return of Commodore Perry's squadron from its first visit to Japan. When Perry's naval squadron steamed back into Japanese waters again in February 1854 to force the negotiation of a trade agreement, James Morrow followed and supervised the exhibition of various American implements, including a miniature steam locomotive. After completing that work, Dr. Morrow and an American-born translator spent nearly 18 weeks collecting samples of many hundreds of native plants that were unknown to Western science at that time. Commodore Perry and his Japanese counterpart signed a formal trade agreement on July 11th, and the entire American entourage soon withdrew to Hong Kong. Because Dr. Morrow lacked an official berth aboard an American warship, however, he checked into a hotel at the nearby city of Macau, across the Pearl River Delta from Hong Kong. During the early weeks of August 1854, James Morrow busily pressed hundreds of dried plants onto paper folios and packed scores of live plants into a number of cases for the long return voyage to the United States. Each of these containers was probably a Wardian case, a sort of portable terrarium designed for transplanting live plants over long distances. On August 22nd, Commodore Perry steamed across the harbor from Hong Kong to Macau to collect the botanical cargo aboard USS Mississippi. Morrow informed him the next day that the bulk of the plants were ready for transport and then set out to meet the Commodore. As the doctor recorded in his journal on August 23rd, he was summoned, quote, to meet him, Perry, at the garden where he had engaged a Chinese gardener to be taken to Washington to be employed in the garden and grounds around the Capitol, end quote. Returning to his journal later that day, Dr. Morrow recorded the first English-language description of the young man who was to become the first Chinese resident of South Carolina. Morrow did not mention his age or background, but the doctor's words, augmented by later records, suggest that he was around 19 years of age and might have been an orphan. The boy's name was Oki, wrote Dr. Morrow after their first meeting. 
The Parsi gardener who recommended him said that he was a thorough and practiced gardener and that he had been in his employ for 10 years and that he understood budding and grafting and all the arts of Chinese gardening, end quote. Neither Commodore Perry nor James Morrow identified the garden in which they found Oki, but the doctor's journal entry contains one valuable clue. The word Parsi refers to persons of Persian heritage who later removed to the Indian subcontinent and who practiced the Zoroastrian religion. A community of Parsis migrated along trade routes from India to China several centuries ago, when the city-state of Macau functioned as a semi-autonomous Portuguese colony. Within this multicultural context, an American naval officer arrived in August 1854 seeking an experienced hand. The Parsi gardener, who had apparently supervised Oki for a decade and recommended him to Commodore Perry, was likely affiliated with a large ceremonial garden in Macau, known since the 1820s as the Parsi Cemetery. Oki might have been employed by Parsi clerics in Portuguese Macau, but the sparse evidence of his later life suggests that he was both ethnically and culturally Chinese. Dr. Morrow's spelling of the young man's name, for example, which was repeated with little variation over the next quarter century, probably represents a rough transliteration of his proper identity. Americans apparently interpreted this four-letter moniker as his first name, prompting Oki in later years to adopt an Anglo-American surname. Despite this addition, the two-syllable Oki probably represented his full name in the traditional order of his native Chinese culture. The initial syllable O is likely a family name, while the second, Qi or Qi or perhaps Qi, was probably his given or individual name. In the United States of the 21st century, we might call him Qi-O or Qi-O. Descriptions of Oki's youthful appearance do not appear among the journals of Dr. Morrow or Commodore Perry, but we can at least consider his hairstyle. Chinese men living under the ruling Qing dynasty at that time were required by law to shave their forehead and wear the rest of their hair in a long braided queue. Oki might have been wearing this traditional hairstyle when Commodore Perry hired him in 1854, but it's also possible that his decade-long residence within Portuguese-controlled Macau enabled him to wear his hair as he pleased. In either case, records of Oki's later life in New York, Washington, D.C., and South Carolina include no mention of the stereotypical pigtail, or cue, that identified so many of the Chinese-American immigrants of the mid-19th century. Oki's motivations for leaving his native land were probably similar to that of the tens of thousands of Chinese men and a smaller number of women who emigrated to California during the 1850s. Their country had suffered years of famine, natural disasters, political repression, and finally a bloody civil war that historians now describe as the Taiping Rebellion. If he lacked a strong family connection to his native land in 1854 and sought to escape the violence then raging around his home province of Canton, now Guangzhou, Oki might have embraced the opportunity to practice his pastoral profession in a distant land. 
Pursuant to orders of Commodore Perry on August 23rd, quote, the boy Oki was shipped at once on board USS Mississippi to receive $10 a month and his rations and have three months advance with good security, end quote. He was young, active, and lively, wrote Dr. Morrow in his journal at that time, and was suitable to go on board ship with sailors. From the beginning of their relationship in August 1854, Oki's industry and discipline quickly won the trust of the American botanist. Morrow later identified his young Chinese companion as the principal assistant in putting the plants in the cases at Macau and Hong Kong as they readied for departure. When I asked him if all the plants could live till we got to America, recalled Morrow of his botanical colleague, he said that all could not, but perhaps one half might. On this sultry morning of August 25th, Oki helped Dr. Morrow load numerous cases of live plants onto a large boat and commenced the long journey to the United States. They sailed and rowed seven miles under the oppressively hot sun to the USS Mississippi at anchor in Macau Roads and finished transferring the cases onto the ship by two in the afternoon. While Morrow returned to his hotel room for the evening, Oki made a final trip into Macau, perhaps to say farewell to friends and family, before returning to his new home aboard a U.S. naval vessel. Dr. Morrow boarded the Mississippi on August 27th, and the ship steamed back across the harbor to Hong Kong, where the rest of the American naval squadron was anchored. While the botanist resided on shore with a friend in the city, Oki tended the plants aboard the warship. Morrow returned to the Mississippi the next day and supervised the transfer of all the botanical samples to another vessel, the U.S. supply ship Lexington. After receiving orders from Commodore Perry to proceed to Washington with the plants, Morrow gathered the last boxes of materials on September 2nd and joined Oki aboard the Lexington. The steam-powered vessel cast off from Hong Kong on September 9th and commenced a maritime journey of approximately 18,000 nautical miles. Oki's voyage to the United States lasted more than five months aboard the proverbial slow boat from China, including pauses to collect additional botanical samples from waypoints along the route. The Lexington sailed and steamed across the South China Sea to the Java Sea before resting at a port on the island of Java. Continuing westward across the Indian Ocean, the mariners paused again at the remote island of Mauritius. The supply ship sailed around the Cape of Good Hope and arrived on Christmas Day at the more remote island of St. Helena in the South Atlantic. Continuing into the new year, the Lexington sailed northward to the Caribbean Sea and followed the Antilles Current to the east coast of North America. Oki and his companions arrived in New York Harbor on February 16, 1855 and docked at the Brooklyn Navy Yard the next day. Commodore Perry's faster warship had arrived in New York a month before the humble supply vessel, and citizens across the United States were eager for news about exotic discoveries in the mysterious Far East. The government-funded expedition to China and Japan had fulfilled most of its diplomatic and commercial objectives, while the collection of cultural and botanical souvenirs represented an additional bonus. New York newspapers of late February published several notices of the Lexington's arrival, which other papers across the country repeated. 
Four days after Oki's ship docked in Brooklyn, for example, the Charleston Courier noted that its cargo included, quote, 17 cases of exotic plants for the government collected in China, Luchu, that is Okinawa, and Japan. They are in the charge of Dr. James Morrow, agriculturalist in the Japan expedition, end quote. Immediately after their arrival at Brooklyn Navy Yard, Dr. Morrow and Oki began unloading and dividing the government's collection of nearly 2,000 botanical samples aboard the Lexington. The dried materials, pressed into large paper folios, were sent to Aza Gray, professor of natural history at Harvard University, for classification. The large collection of seeds and live samples, meanwhile, were transferred to another vessel bound for Washington, D.C., While this labor progressed at Brooklyn, a reporter from the New York Times visited the Navy Yard to see the exotic vegetation and to meet the botanist. On February 21, 1855, the newspaper printed a partial list of the flowers, shrubs, and trees packed by Oki and Dr. Morrow. Most of the plants were described as being in pretty good condition, but the reporter noted that a few of them had wilted and died on the passage. More importantly, the newspaper observed that the Lexington had returned with something then considered a novelty in New York and along the entire east coast of the United States, quote, a real live Chinese from Hong Kong. He is a florist and a gardener and goes to Washington to attend to the plants. He's about 20 years of age and named Oki. He speaks English a little, which he learned on the voyage, and says he is now an American. He was born at Canton and is tolerably good-looking, James Morrow and Oki did not linger in Brooklyn for long. The doctor's Asian adventure was sponsored by the U.S. Department of State, and he was obliged to deliver the bulk of his large collection of plants, seeds, and agricultural implements to government authorities. In the spring of 1855, the federal government maintained a relatively large botanical and horticultural reservation encompassing approximately 10 acres on the west side of Capitol Hill. The site was known by a variety of names during its early years, but in August 1856 was officially designated the United States Botanic Garden. In 1850, workers had erected here a relatively modest-sized greenhouse or hothouse or conservatory in the Gothic Revival style fashionable at the time. Extant photographs from the 1850s and 1860s depict this building with a large number of tall windows, each surmounted with a Gothic arch, a high-pitched roof with four ornamental spires, and faux buttresses on the structure's exterior piers. Arriving at this site at some point in March 1855, Dr. Morrow and Oki transferred their materials to William R. Smith, a young Scotsman hired in 1853 as the institution's chief gardener. James Morrow, having completed his obligations to the government, then returned to South Carolina and left Oki in charge of explaining the botanical collection to his new employer. Although Mr. Smith was just a few years older than his Chinese colleague, he served as Oki's supervisor for approximately two years at the Botanic Garden. Both men apparently resided on-site in modest cottages standing within the shadow of the U.S. Capitol. Their first joint task in the spring of 1855 was likely to transplant the live plants from Asia, including flowers, fruit trees, shrubbery, and grasses, into fresh American soil. 
On April 21st of that year, a Washington newspaper reporter visited what he called the Government Conservatory near the foot of the Capitol on the western side of that edifice and recommended that the lovers of plants and flowers may now be gratified by a visit to the greenhouses. Besides the great variety of plants within the garden, the reporter was also intrigued by a human curiosity. We noticed yesterday, said the reporter, the Chinese gardener, Oki, intently at work. He was brought hither, it will be recollected, to attend to the cultivation of plants imported into the country from Asia by Commodore Perry, the commander of the Japan expedition, end quote. Meanwhile, within the U.S. Capitol building next door, Congress appropriated $1,500 in 1855 for, quote, the erection of a suitable house for the plants recently brought from Japan for the United States, end quote. That house eventually became a large addition to the existing greenhouse, but construction of that structure did not begin for some time. Work to expand the landscaping around the greenhouse commenced right away, however, as Oki, Mr. Smith, and their colleagues created space for the new materials brought from China and Japan. Their efforts rendered the path through the grounds to the conservatory somewhat inconvenient for visitors in the summer of 1855, but by the spring of 1856, a journalist reported that the public grounds on the west side of the Capitol building formed, quote, an attractive resort to the lovers of rare native as well as exotic plants and trees and flowers, end quote. A grainy photograph tentatively dated to 1856 and recently displayed on the website of the architect of the Capitol depicts the Gothic Revival greenhouse at the U.S. Botanic Garden with a group of four employees. Closer inspection of this original image in higher resolution might provide a unique glimpse of the Chinese gardener named Oki. Details relating to Oki's removal from the District of Columbia to South Carolina are not as robust as those concerning his path from China to Washington, but that transition seems to have occurred during the year 1857. By January of 1858, for example, we know that Oki was a familiar face at Bleak Hall Plantation on Edisto Island, tending to a large formal garden that he had created for his new employer, John Townsend. Circumstantial evidence suggests, however, that Oki's decision to migrate southward into a landscape dominated by enslaved laborers followed conversations with an old friend. Dr. James Morrow of South Carolina, who had retired to his southern home in the spring of 1855, returned to the nation's capital in early 1857 to secure compensation for his work with Commodore Perry's famous expedition to Japan. Dr. Morrow's sojourn to Washington likely included a trip to the U.S. Botanic Garden, where he might have seen the flowering fruits of his Asian adventure and visited his Chinese-American colleague. In the course of their conversation, which might have included John Townsend, Oki agreed to quit his government job and embark on a new adventure. He would travel 500 miles southward to begin a new life on a fertile seaside plantation nestled within a subtropical climate, surrounded by the familiar flora of his Asian homeland. Join me again next week for the conclusion of this story as we follow Oki, the Chinese gardener, southward to the land of Sea Island Cotton and slavery in the Palmetto State. 
During the second half of his colorful life, another civil war forced Oki to flee far from the fertile coast, but he found asylum, love, and family in the capital of South Carolina. Charleston County Public Library is your home for local history. To explore our resources and programs, and to read an illustrated transcript of this podcast, point your web browser to ccpl.org. Thanks for listening to the Charleston Time Machine. This is Nick Butler, and I'll see you in the future.